I'm just going to pray uh, before we uh, get into God's Word this morning. God, I thank you that we uh, can come together as a church this morning. God, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that we are going to uh, learn uh, more about you this morning, God, and uh, grow deeper in our relationship with you. Amen. Good morning. Uh, So this morning I'm carrying on our series in Hebrews 11. We've been doing a series called By Faith. Oh, I'm a bit flowy in this. Um, And we've looked at so far what the word faith means. Uh, We've looked at that it's not the opposite of science. Um, We've looked through examples in Hebrews. um, And then a couple of weeks ago, John talked to us about how faith motivates us to action. So this morning, we're looking at um, how our faith sees. And if you like, we're going to be doing a bit of an eye test on ourselves. If you've ever been for an eye test, you'll know that opticians tend to get in your face a little bit. They try out different lenses. They poke around a bit. That's kind of what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to think about how is our long-term vision? Just how far can we see by faith? How's our close-range vision? Are we aware of what's going on right around us? Are we short-sighted or long-sighted? Have we got an eye on eternity and on the present? So let's carry on our reading in Hebrews 11. We're going to be reading uh, from verse 17 to 22, and it should come up behind me as well. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So in this passage, we have got a bit of a family tree of faith. We're going from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. And it continues that hall of fame or hall of big faith that we've been reading in Hebrews 11. And today we started with Abraham and Isaac, which refers back to Genesis, a story in Genesis 22. And God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Abraham followed God's instructions, and just as he raised a knife to slay his son, God called him to stop. Now when we read the story in the Bible, if you look back in Genesis, It's quite matter-of-fact about what happened. But it's not hard to imagine the heartache of Abraham having to go through with this. His son, who he clearly loves, and not only that, but God had given Abraham a promise through this very son that he would have as many descendants as the stars. This son was born despite Abraham and Sarah's old age. So if this boy dies our human mindset would say that the promise of God is going to fail. And yet, by faith, Abraham is prepared to do as God asks. When we hear this story, we can see it as a bit of a a mountain summit of faith. It doesn't get much bigger than sacrificing your own child, especially when it seems to contradict the exact promises that you're living for. So if this is a mountain summit story, 
then what are the mountain summits in our lives? Perhaps the call of God for you would be to stay single at the moment, to realize that you are enough despite what the world says. Perhaps it's to stay in your job or to leave your job, to speak up at work about Jesus, perhaps not to compromise your honesty or to confront a person in sin. And as we see in our limited mind, the prospect of doing one of these things is terrible. It's like the loss of Isaac. And when you've considered every human angle, it's also impossible that it could turn out well. And that's the position that Abraham was in when he was in this mountain summit moment of faith. Now, you might have climbed some mountains yourselves. Uh, You might have just looked at them in awe, but we can all agree that mountains are huge and magnificent and quite awe-inspiring. Now, I spent my 17th birthday climbing a mountain in Peru. Peru is quite high up anyway. The cities in themselves are much higher than we are here. Um, which we soon found out when, uh, as a team, we decided to play some locals at a football game, some local kids, I should say, about 10-year-olds. And uh, within a a few minutes, we were all completely out of breath. Um, There was just not enough uh, oxygen or whatever it is up there for us. And these kids were running circles around us. You see, the higher we get, the weaker our bodies become. And altitude does really funny things to our bodies. I remember camping just before we were even about to climb the mountain and uh, struggling with some altitude sickness. Left my tent, been to the bathroom, come back and decided, uh, well, I better ask for my bottle of water. Um, So I went and called for my sisters. Um, It's in the middle of the night and I crouched down by our tent and I called for my older sister. I said, Heidi, Heidi, can you pass me my bottle of water? And she didn't reply. So I thought, well, I'll ask my eldest sister, Zoe, Zoe, can you pass me my bottle of water? Uh, feeling really rough, quite annoyed that nobody was helping me at this moment. Um, and then I remember sitting down on the ground and realising I wasn't on this trip with either of my sisters. In fact, I wasn't even with my family. I was with school friends and a team, an expedition. And I uh, sat there quite bemused and confused and thought, well, who do I call? Who is in my tent? Who, who am I here with? And then I could remember it and actually call for my friends' names. Because if you don't acclimatise properly your body does not cope very well. And we can look at this uh, mountain summit of faith and think there is no way I'm ever going to climb that. I'm not strong enough to get that far. But Abraham didn't start his adventure with God on this mountain summit. Nobody starts at the summit, do they? If you did, if you were plonked on top of the summit of Mount Everest, you'd probably just die. And our faith is the same. God acclimatizes us with smaller faith adventures and we climb the mountain together. Think about Abraham. God didn't start with him up there with Isaac. God started by calling him to leave his home and go to an unknown place. Now this was not an upgrade. Um, There's a picture uh, I think that might appear behind me um, which is a a picture found in the British Museum and it's called Ram in a Thicket. And uh, not that one. It should be a table leg that's very magnificent. And um, this is a, uh, a craft that was made in the city that Abraham was currently living in. Okay, so this is from Ur. And if you look at the skill and the craftsmanship in it, it reveals the kind of city that he was living in. So to leave an impressive place creating things like this, to go to an unknown place 
which turned out to be tents in a desert, that was a step of faith. And when he left, he took people, family with him, and amongst those was his nephew Lot. Um, so he took him along, and then by faith he had to split from Lot and give his nephew the better land. Later on he has to rescue Lot. It all gets a bit hairy. Um, and then there's the promise of a son in his old age. And all these little stories found in Genesis are all steps of faith that Abraham is taking. And throughout all of this, Abraham's faith is growing. It says in Romans, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham's faith grew as he journeyed up that mountain with God. And as we too climb a mountain of faith with God, our resilience grows, we realize we're not as weak as perhaps we thought, and we can turn back and see our own stories of faith as we climb up this mountain. You see, faith is described three times in the Bible as a mustard seed. Our faith doesn't need to start out huge on that summit. It starts as a mustard seed. Now, it could have been described as anything small. It could have been described as a grain of sand or a pebble. But it's not. The Bible says a mustard seed, and that is something that grows. It's not something that's stagnant. I have a, a friend of mine called Bryony who I did a teacher training with, and um, she has set herself a challenge to climb a different mountain every month of the year. She's almost finished. She's doing Kilimanjaro in January. And uh, so I spoke to her, I had a chat about her, her journeys and what she's learned about climbing mountains. Um, again, there should be a picture of her coming up uh, where she's at base camp of Mount Everest. And uh, that's her Instagram from that day. And I said, what is it, what's it been like? What, do you, what have you learned through this? And she said, whenever she's climbing, the summit is always her ultimate destination. But if that was all she thought about, she would probably just give up. Instead, she has to ask herself, can I keep putting one foot in front of the other? Can I take another step towards the goal? Can I get to base camp first? Jez preached a few weeks ago about having one hand on eternity and one hand on the present. And it's the same with our faith. We need to be able to have faith that sees the final destination to have that long-range vision and to take the smaller steps to get there. And that's what Abraham did and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Their faith saw beyond the grave to eternity. For Abraham, he trusted God with his most prized possession. And in verse 19, it said, He considered that God is able even to raise men from the dead. For Jacob, as he was dying, he was still looking to the promise of God. It said that he was bowing in worship. And Joseph so believed God's promise that he asked for his bones to be taken to the promised land. And actually, about 400 years later, Moses did just that. So what about us? How's our long-range vision? Do we have faith that sees beyond the grave to eternity? Are we looking at God's promises and rewards beyond the here and now? And we need to check our eyesight on this because we tend to only work towards what we can visualize. If you can't see it ever happening, it's so much more difficult to actually work towards it. And visualizing is a massive thing in sports psychology. And uh, I remember growing up as a gymnast, um, I was a, a real visualizer. If I couldn't imagine performing a skill well, I just couldn't do it. 
before every competition, I had to be able to visualize every routine going perfectly to know that I could go through with this competition. And there was one skill that stumped me. And uh, it was basically a, a backflip uh, on the beam. So you do all the progressions up to this. You start by doing it on a line on the floor. You do it hundreds and hundreds of times. Okay, you can do it in a straight line. You move on to a bench. So there's a bench with a small mat over it, and you're standing there, and you jump backwards to do this backflip. Now, my coach was a, an amazing uh. Romanian coach, and she stood there, and she would support me through this skill. And then she'd support me with one hand, and then one finger, and then she would shadow me as I did this skill. And then she'd say, over to you. And she would walk away to go and help a different gymnast. And I think I stood on this bench for 40 minutes, one training session, absolutely frozen to the spot. For some reason, jumping backwards onto this bench, I just I couldn't compute it. I thought, no way, I'm going to land on my head. Um, and my coach had complete confidence in me. She, she would never ask me to do something that she didn't know I could do. Uh, she knew my body had trained for this, but I completely froze. And actually, I stopped the sport uh, not long after that um, because I just I couldn't visualize, visualize myself doing these uh, next-level skills. But actually, at the age of 16, that's kind of retirement anyway for a gymnast, so it wasn't too bad. Um, but do we have faith that sees beyond what we feel and think? The men we read about today had to see even beyond the grave to eternity that God's promise would stand. Faith is not just about knowing facts or about agreeing that they are true. It involves a decision to depend on God. That means it takes us from being an observer of Jesus to actually having a relationship with him. The word trust could be used to describe the faith of the people we've read about today. They didn't simply know God's promise or even just believe that it was said to them. They personally trusted God at his word. John spoke a couple of weeks ago about um, faith being a verb. It motivates us to action. It should move us forward to adventures. And I read a quote this week that said, we are all missionaries. We don't all have to move to the ends of the earth, but we do all have to move. So let's swap our, our lenses now in our eye test from the long range vision from eternity. Let's have a look at our close range vision. Because sometimes we can talk about where we're headed, but not actually get involved in what's right around us. And it's the second lens that we see in Hebrews, and it's that they had faith that sees it through. They weren't observers, they took action. Abraham was ready to take action to sacrifice Isaac. Jacob and Joseph, Joseph seeing it through right to the very end, worshipping until their deaths. And I've got uh, another friend I'd like to tell you about uh, called Miriam. And uh, she is a friend of mine who, who I think has faith that sees God's promises through. Um, in her, her Insta Instagram, which I'm going to share a little bit uh, with you today, um, under your name on Instagram you have some tags, uh, which are supposed to tell you a bit about the person you are reading about or seeing photos about. And uh, this is what Miriam says uh, about herself. Uh, this is her bullet points under her name. Uh, she lives by this. Name drop Jesus. Tell stories. Capture moments breathe poetry, on a mission, disciple for revival. And uh, she moved to Middlesbrough about a year ago uh, in faith that God's promises were true for whoever believes in him, even those in her neighbourhood that she was moving to. She spends her evenings playing football with the neighbours' kids and having cups of teas in doorways. 
and she's got to know her community. She knows their struggles and their joys. Um, and I just want to share two of her stories with you. These are two blogs that she's written on her Instagram. And um, I hope it, it shows you a little bit about what I'm, I'm trying to show you here today. And uh, the first one is called Life and Death Poem. Um, in fact, there is a, a picture as well on the slides of, of her, uh, her street uh, playing football with some of the kids. Um, so this was written just a few weeks ago. Strange week on the street. Two deaths. One of them being a brilliant guy who lived opposite me and loved this community. Ambulance calls. Send round flowers. Early morning hugs over cups of tea on the pavement. Late night drinks and tears and anger. It costs a lot to die. No one here can afford it. We hope the funerals don't clash. And as we send cards and pray hard, believing in the midst of pain, Jesus still will meet us. And yet, the joy of hot evenings spent playing games and teaching toddlers how to skate. There's life as well as death on the street this week. You can see how she's making those relationships, can't you? She's got faith to see it through for her neighbours, for her street. Now, just like the people we've read about in Hebrews, it's not all been easy. And the, the next uh, blog I'd like to read to you, she wrote um, in the light of being authentic and real. Uh, she wanted to show her friends and, uh, what it's really like. And uh, this is called Low Lights Blog, and uh, she wrote it back in May. I've been on my street long enough to be the subject of gossip. I haven't left quickly, as many do. So why is she here starts to be asked. Rumours begin to circulate between families at war with each other from parallel houses. She seems to know everyone. She's interested in everyone. I'd be careful if I were you. I reckon she's the police. It's hard to be told gossip when you're the subject of it, and new friends are also suspicious of your interest in their lives. But God is at work and speaks up for us, or in this case, uses another neighbour to put the rumours to rest. She told me, I said they were being stupid. There's no way police would move into this stump. She's not a copper, she's a Christian. It feels tricky to know who to trust when you move into clashing communities. I've certainly been reminded to watch my words, to rely on God to protect me, and to not be naive that I can just trust that everyone I meet will automatically accept me as genuine. I'm not a copper, I'm a Christian. And I guess I'll shake off the gossip, forgive my neighbours, and probably try and have everyone round for tea again. Hashtag love thy neighbour, hashtag real life, hashtag lowlights, hashtag learning. See, my friend Miriam is motivated to action, and her faith sees it through. What does that look like for us? We might not live on a, in a community like she's living in now, but what do we need to see through in faith? Perhaps it's work or relationships that we need to persevere through. Maybe it's church or mission that we need to not give up on. Perhaps you've been saving money to, to help someone, to give to someone in need, and the pressure is building to use it and to you, you need it elsewhere. But God would say, have faith to see it through. And it's all part of climbing that mountain. And we can have faith to see it through and know that because when God says something will happen, it will. And so our eye test continues that we may have faith that sees God's word as a promise. Now we know the word promise might not mean much today. Society is full of broken promises in childhood, in marriage, in jobs, 
what does it even mean today, that word? But in God's word, promise really does mean a promise. In John 3, he promises that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In the Bible, it says God's promises are yes, but they are still future. And Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph didn't receive the things promised because they were still for the future. It says that they all died before they came true, but they still had faith that God's word is a promise. And when a promise is really long haul, it makes it harder, doesn't it? It's quite easy to see it through when the reward is going to be immediate. Um, But when you're in for a long journey, a bit of a mountain climb, it requires more faith. There's a, there's a chapter in, in this book called Dirty Glory. And I know some people in the church have been reading it. If you've not yet got a copy, there are some more free copies available at the back. And um, it's a, a brilliant book all about um, amazing uh, stories, uh, answers to prayer. Um, and there's a chapter in it um, called Blue Camp 20. And I just wanted to read you the introduction. Um, it starts with a quote, and it's going to appear behind me as well. And it says this, Faith is not the clinging to a shrine, but an endless pilgrimage of the heart. Audacious longings, burning songs, daring thoughts, an impulse impulse overwhelming the heart, usurping the mind. These are all a drive towards serving him who rings our hearts like a bell. And in this chapter, Pete, the author, um, discovers uh, an old cemetery at the end of his road. And he said you can see furrows in the ground from where 300,000 pioneers used to go through it. And um, this place got nicknamed Blue Camp 20. He said it was the first stop from somewhere to somewhere else. So, inevitably, some of these pioneers decided to settle down there. Um, They built up trades and served the future pioneers who were going to come through. In fact, he says that it was uh, a lot easier to settle there because the future otherwise would be 700 more miles on foot dodging rattlesnakes. And in considering this old cemetery, this Blue Camp 20, Pete realises that actually there's a temptation in all of us to settle down, to have an easier life. It's much easier to stop at base camp than keep going to the summit. And he continues in this and he says, everyone pioneers once in their life. Whether you start a business, start a band, start a family, move locations. But gradually, the worries of life start to constrain us. And pioneering a second time is so much harder. In fact, Abraham was one of the few who never settled down. He never stopped pioneering. It says in Hebrews 9 that he lived like a stranger in, foreign, in a foreign country, where he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So you may have pioneered before, perhaps many times, or maybe you're in the young and invincible group and you're raring to go. But either way, we are called to pioneer again and again. And as a church, we're pioneering into the Crossway Centre. In a few days, we will exchange. (laughs) But we're not pioneering there to settle down. We're pioneering there to press on. The Crossway Centre is not our Blue Camp 20, where we can build our own little community fully self-serving. Actually, it's time to get up and get going and pioneer again. And what, what is it that we're going into? Ultimately, we're not pioneering into a new location. We're not even pioneering into a more effectiveness in the town. 
We are pioneering into a deeper intimacy with Jesus than ever before. And if you've got your mountain summit moments from past conferences or trials or camps, why not have faith that sees these experiences getting top trumped as we pioneer together into the Crossway Centre? See, we tend to uh, get excited and spend money on experiences, don't we? Things like theatre tickets, paragliding, um, meals out. And we spend money on these because they make great memories. Uh, They're something we can do with our friends and family. They're exciting. But what about experiences in faith and experiences with God? What if we started spending money on these experiences as well? Because don't they provide all the same things and more? great memories. We can do it with our friends and family. They're exciting. So, do we need to adjust our lenses? Do we have faith that sees God's word as a promise, sees beyond the grave to eternity, and that sees it through? When you realize you're a bit short-sighted or long-sighted, and I always get it the wrong way around, um, you don't just carry on. You go and see an optician and you get it fixed. I remember going for an eye test at 18. I hadn't, don't think I'd really had an eye test before 18, but my driving test uh, was coming up and I realised I couldn't read the, what do you call it, number plate in front of you. I'd had many lessons before I realised this. Um, I couldn't quite tell if it said 30 or 50 miles an hour. Those were the issues I was having. Um, so my, my driving test was coming up and I thought, well, I'd better get my eyes checked. And after the test, the optician looked at me and he said, how have you managed for so long without wearing glasses? And I thought, well, it's just, you just get on, don't you? And I w- walked out of the opticians, and it wasn't until I had my glasses and looked across the street, I realised that you're supposed to be able to see people's faces across the street. And I think I'd recognised people by their walks and, and their mannerisms before then. But you do suddenly realise how blind you were before. So what does it mean to be short or long-sighted in faith? Well, can we see beyond praying for our neighbours behind closed doors? Or praying for their, or do we start by praying for their peace more than their salvation? Do we share the gospel with everyone we meet to help secure their eternity, but never actually spend time loving them and discipling them? Can we imagine friends and family actually turning to Jesus, or do we just pray for them because it would be rude not to? Can we imagine both family filling up the Crossway Centre and those not already here? And can we imagine Seaford enjoying the building? It would be talked about around the town, but also God being so present there that when people come in to enjoy it, they can't help but meet Jesus. Is that something we can imagine happening? What can you imagine in your families, your friends, in Seaford, in our church? How much will we allow ourselves to dream And as a church, we need to do that. We need to imagine stepping out in faith so that then we can actually do it. And we don't need these stories that we've heard today and read in Hebrews to put our faith to shame. But as an example of how we can grow in our faith, we can ask God to help us. The Bible says that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. This isn't a muscle that we need to work out and and body build up until God says, yeah, I I think it can hold under the weight. But God is doing this with us. Some of you will be sitting there going, yeah, let's go, let's pioneer again. I want to see clearly by faith. And then others of us will be sitting here going, can't wait to see that person pioneering faith. Can't wait to see what God does through, through the others in the church or through that building. 
but actually you sit there and you discount yourself. And uh, actually at the moment I'm, uh, I'm employed to go into schools to boost year six children. That means they've got their SATs exams coming up in May, big exams for these kids. And um, if they're likely to make the pass mark but s could be falling a little bit short, my job is to go in and, and boost them, spend time with them, uh, encourage them to make sure it's, it's a guaranteed pass, make sure the data gets where it needs to get. Now, if the kids are nowhere near this pass mark, if they're not going to make it by May, they might do in a year or two, but they're just not going to pass these SATs by May. I'm not giving those children. They are not worth boosting. The school do not think that I, I should spend time on them. I'm giving the ones who are likely to get there. And sometimes we can think God sees us like this. That maybe in the past we were worth boosting. We might have gone somewhere, been somewhere in the past, but not now. Sometimes we think well, we're not worthy of boosting, of God spending his time on us, on training us and teaching us and loving us. Because we're never going to be one of the big shots. We're never going to be at the summit. We're a base camp kind of person. And actually God would say to us that he doesn't view us like that at all. Jesus perfects our faith. We just have to have faith that sees. And that's what's going to motivate us to climb mountains and to go on faith adventures with God. Adventurous is one of our cultures as a church that we want to try and live by um, and try and encourage each other with stories of. And I think this is how we can be adventurous, by starting to check our eyesight, how are we seeing things in faith. So we're going to uh, finish our eye test there. And uh, we're going to go excited and encouraged that faith is an adventure that we're all invited to go on it. God's ready for it. Uh, we just need to start going on it. Um, so I'm going to pray, and I think the band are going to come up as well. God, I thank, you for, um, I thank you for Hebrews 11 and all that we're learning about faith through that, God. God, I pray that as a church we would grow, that we would grow in faith, that we would not limit our adventures with you. God, help us to remember that you are the leader of all these faith expeditions, God. No matter where we are on the mountain, God, it is you that is leading this trip. God, we, would we look to you and rely on you? Thank you, God, that you invite us to do this with you. Amen.